Hello. Hello. How hey. How do you do, indeed? Um, it's been a long week, and I can't. Do you know what? It feels like the other day that we just recorded. Um, what was it? Menopause. 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 Yeah. How was that yeah. a week ago? It's like, uh, it's still fresh in my mind. But yeah, that was a good episode. <laughs> I'll tell you why it's fresh in your mind. Because yes. you know how I was using the royal we to um, explain that we were going through the perimenopause or entering or whatever. Ah, Potentially yes. it's because like, you know, you try to distance yourself from that. Maybe it's still in your mind because <laughs> there's not so much distance between True. you and the perimenopause as you would have True. liked to think perhaps Maybe. in it's like planting a seed in the back of my mind so I'm glad yeah. that an episode is still with me because that meant yeah. I learned something from it Women Who Rebrand the podcast honest and humorous conversations about the transitional phases people experience to grow start over or rebrand to become their most authentic selves Hosted by Sreet Fontaine and Chioma Olalei and features special guests who are professional rebranders. The podcast covers starting over at different stages of life, championing personal growth, a.k.a. a personal rebrand. Um, so this week, hopefully we'll yes. learn something from it. Um, going into careers, that kind of segment mm. within Women Who Rebrand. And mm-hmm. we have Danny Fontaine telling us how to do that perfect pitch. So selling yourself, selling yourself um, for business, getting new brand collaborations, getting yourself in the place that you want to be and working in business and succeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way that you said we have Danny Fontaine, like as if <laughs> Danny Fontaine's just some random person who happens to have the same surname as <laughs> you. Like, who, who's Danny Fontaine? To, like, what, like <laughs> can, can you please let our listeners know who, who's Danny Fontaine? Like, we need do you to... know what? I thought I'd casually drop it in and see if you say anything. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, women who rebrand, I have spoken about Danny before. People know that my mm. surname is Fontaine. I wanted to see if people were going to connect the dots. But yes, Danny <laughs> is my other half, my partner in crime, um, mm-hmm. my, my, um, Father to my children. So, um, <laughs> Danny, for those who don't... Yeah. Oh, I hate that term. You know what? I actually hate that term. It's the I worst, hate isn't it? It. <laughs> it is the worst. And people love it. It's like mm. using terms and trying to reclaim it. And I'm like, no, not that one. Um, but yes. Um, I He's on the show because um, he is a um, businessman. But he... <laughs> works for a company that is very diverse and championing women in business, championing mm-hmm. um, diversity and they're, um, yeah, they're everywhere. So mm-hmm. in his job role, he is um, in charge of all things businessy. But to be honest, because I'm going into wife mode, I'm like, I can't really properly explain what he does. <laughs> but he does well and sometimes I'm there having to be the person that listens to his pitches and I'm like mm-hmm. oh let me write that down because yeah, yeah. That that's my man mm-hmm. yeah like not only um does he buy me wine but he gives me all the business tips yes. and then we bounce ideas of each other so um I just okay. thought you know um he started this pitch guy tiktok account and mm-hmm. um, possibly going to take that further and mm-hmm. be doing stuff and stuff around that. So he's well known for pitching and storytelling within his role. So, yeah, Perfect. I thought that would be amazing for us folks Sounds who um, maybe would be pitching ideas to businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's like here. It. Shall we let him in? We're going to bring him in. Let's do it. Ah, hello. 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 Thank you for joining us, Danny Fontaine. Well, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> it's one of my uh, bucket list items to be on the Women Who Rebrand podcast. Uh, yes, yes. And you know what? See, he is mm-hmm. our second male on the show. He is. He is. He is How right? do you feel about that? feel pretty Danny. good. Would have rather been the first, but it's okay. <gasps> I take oh, second. Listen. Well, listen, yeah. Sarita is your partner. You're a winner. <laughs> Remember that. That's, that's, that's all you true. need. 
I like that. You're winning no matter what, whether you come first <laughs> or last. You've got me. Because so. I've I'm got saying. you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm saying. Well, do you know what? I'm going to say now, let's put a pin in our relationship because we're going on the topic. <laughs> You're here to talk about pitching and business and championing women and making women most awesome by um, getting your tips in the trade um, and just, yeah, getting some more women in higher positions. I think this is what this episode is about because there's okay. so many things going against women at the moment, obviously. Um See, you've referenced um, the patriarchy many times in our um, podcast episodes. So I mm-hmm. feel it's definitely important to give careers advice to women. And if we have to get the advice off a man, it might as well be a good one. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And it's reparations, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I like it. <laughs> I mean, uh, in two ways, it's reparations. But we're, we're, we won't go into that. <laughs> Um, let's, let's also put maybe a put a pin in, in that one that as one. well. Yeah, let's put a yes. pin in reparations, shall we? For this yes. episode, yeah. I feel a bit out yes. of my depth already, guys. <laughs> Save that for question two. Uh. Right. So, Danny Fontaine, I um, gave a brief introduction, gave you a brief introduction before you uh, let into the virtual studio. Um, to be honest, I went into wife mode, and I probably didn't do a very good job of it. So, for the sake of our audience and um, C, who has no clue about what you do, would you be able to give yourself, um, give us a brief introduction? Absolutely, I can. And I wonder if you really know what I do as well, actually. So, we'll find out maybe over the next few minutes. But yes, I'm Danny Fontaine. I'm a creative director at IBM. And essentially, I've made a career out of pitching. So, my day job is to help IBM win some of the biggest deals out there. And this can sometimes be hundreds of millions of dollars, which is kind of crazy. It makes money just seem like uh, such a strange concept sometimes. Yeah, it does. Um, But essentially, yeah, what I do is I, I, I join teams in the business and I help them to create compelling stories. We use kind of world-class design. We make videos, animations. We use... Uh, technology like augmented reality and the metaverse to pitch as well but the main thing and I think we'll talk about this a lot today is how we can create emotional connections with our audience because that really is the foundation of everything I do and it's also worth saying that although I work on these kind of mega deals I haven't always and actually the, the things I want to talk to you about are absolutely just as relevant, whether you're a single person or a small business pitching an idea, um, just as relevant as if you're a major corporation pitching a large program of work. So so that's me. And just, just to touch on that female power point, if maybe that's the wrong way of saying it, but a lot of my work, IBM is a really, really big advocate for getting women in leadership roles and supporting women as well as diversity and all that kind of stuff. But um, I mentor uh, a lot of women and I, and I hopefully do my part to help womanhood uh, rise to the same level as, as silly old manhood. <laughs> Amazing. And this is why he's on the show. This is what, I, this is exactly what I said, right? See, Exactly. It makes sense. Word, almost. It, yeah, yeah. It's like Danny, you didn't need to do that. Sarita did everything. Mm. She, I know. I'm just repeating delivered. what you've already said. I don't know who this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But thank you. We appreciate yeah. it. So, with, in terms of you and your whole pitching and and all of that kind of thing, it sounds really serious. And I'm imagining you stood in front of like a a panel of really square jacketed business types and um, just telling them about how amazing your company is and, and all the things that you're going to be able to offer them. But I, I know that pitching has changed a lot recently and it's not just about selling something and telling people how great it is. Like you said, you have to build that emotion in and, and tell the story. So what do you think has made that change between what it used to be and what it is now, like the move to storytelling? So I I don't think anything has actually changed in terms of the times haven't changed. I think, you know, since Aristotle, we've been telling stories and it's how we've 
got passed information down from generation to generation from prehistoric times. So I think what's probably happened is in the kind of uh, 70s and 80s, this kind of new world idea came and America was thriving and salespeople were the next big thing. And they sold how they thought they should sell, which is my product's the best and it's shiny and it's fantastic. And I think over time, that technique has just been refined to be more powerful. There might be a generational aspect in it as well. But I think absolutely the, you know, if you go and buy a car, for example, even in the 1970s, you probably wouldn't have enjoyed the experience. Someone telling you about how great the car yeah. is and, and, and littering it with kind of half truths and exaggerations to make you buy it. And once you've driven off the forecourt, then job done. <laughs> and it's yeah. not how we connect as humans. And it is about selling, but it's also really important to understand how the human brain works. And actually, we need real human conversations. We need to know as buyers how we are going to be benefited as humans if we hand over money uh, for a service. Sure. And you actually touched on a really interesting point there, uh, C, as well. You, you were talking about how you imagine me standing up telling everyone how great the company is. And actually, that mm -hmm. is one of the first things I teach people not to do. The most boring ah, story ooh. that I could tell one of my clients is a story about IBM. And it happens a lot of the mm -hmm. time, right? Hi, we're IBM and we're huge and we've got all of these people and all of these certifications and all the rest of it. And our clients who have a genuine need and a genuine problem that they want solving just get bored and turned off immediately. Mm -hmm. And actually mm -hmm. a big, big part of storytelling is putting our audience our clients and prospects putting them as the hero of our stories we as right. uh, people pitching we are purely uh, mentors and guides to help them get to success so to use a star wars reference our clients <laughs> what <laughs> our clients are luke skywalker and we are obi-wan kenobi what we're trying to do is help them become the best Jedis in the world. We're not trying to do it for them. We want to help them become a Jedi and guide them and help them overcome their obstacles and challenges. So at the end of it, they are able to continue through life in a transformed world without needing our support. And that is incredibly important. And it's how we can get an audience to start listening to us. Because if you think about it, if, if, if you and I are having a conversation and I'm going on and on and on about me all of the time, you're going to probably get bored pretty, yeah. pretty <laughs> quickly, especially with me, to be honest. Um, but if, you know, if, if we're talking about you, then actually all of a sudden your ears prick up and you're like, oh, yeah, what about me? Um, you know, it's just a natural inclination as an egotistical human being to want to hear about ourselves. And that's how we can really make that first emotional connection with our audiences. So how would you make an emotional connection? Say I wanted to pitch an idea. So for me, um, Women Who Read Brands, suppose I wanted to pitch to a smaller brand or smaller organisation. How would I start? How would you even reach out? Well, I think there was kind of two questions there. So mm -hmm. I think that to create an emotional connection, it's not rocket science. You have to make your audience feel something by stirring an emotion within them. And, mm -hmm. and that's up to you to decide which emotion you want to try and stir and which is the most relevant. But our brains still work in a kind of uh, uh, prehistoric sense. And we've got a we've got a little we've got a number of parts in our brains. And actually, the the smallest part of our brain is our fight or flight part of the brain. And unless information wakes that up and kind of sets that alarm off, then the rest of the brain's not going to get involved. And so we have to focus on creating an emotion. So if I can make you feel happy, if I can make you feel sad, if I can make you feel scared or curious, if I can be provocative and exciting or scary, you know, just any human emotion, if I can make you feel that, 
then you will subconsciously start to have a real human connection with me. Because 95% of the decisions we made are made by our subconscious, which means that 95% of the decisions we make are, are made without us rationally analyzing and thinking about them. They just happen and they're based on the way we feel. You know, we talk about gut instinct. Well, that's a real thing. And if we can create a genuine emotional connection, then we can also cause a physical reaction. And that's when you're really getting to the gold. If you can make someone's pupils dilate, if you can make the hairs on their arms stand up or send a shiver down their spine or put butterflies in their tummy, <laughs> then by gum, they are probably subconsciously already thinking, I want to work with you. Right. So the interesting thing is, shut me up if I'm just talking too much, by the way. It's, uh, well, it is, is a it, podcast, so carry is, is on. It, <laughs> it's a passion of mine, can you tell? Uh, Sorry, well. is thinking, you never normally talk this much. <laughs> About me? <laughs> well, carry on. The important thing is the sequence. So if I use an example at IBM, we sell incredibly complex work. Sometimes it can take three months, even six months to prepare for a submission when a client's gone out to competitors in the market asking them to submit something, which means we come up with a stack of documents, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of words. Now, that stuff is really important, but it's actually moot unless we trigger that emotional connection first. Because once our subconscious has decided, I like you, I want to work with you, the interesting thing is it then kicks over and it sends information up to our big old neocortex, which says, I need to now rationalize this to make sure that I can consciously support those feelings and that gut instinct I had. So after we've created that first impact, that first feeling, then we can talk about, OK, so it's uh, also going to be a, a migration to cloud over these servers with this security thing, et cetera, et cetera. Our brains will be open to receiving that information. So that's really important. I always say this emotion first, information second. Oh, and so no hard pitching. sales. Sorry. Definitely no hard sales. Because it, it's all about psychology. That's what I'm hearing. All about psychology. Like, there's biology and psychology like combined. And if like, and I think everything's related to psychology, really. If you know the way that the human brain works, then you can adapt your whatever it is that you're trying to do to best um, use your knowledge about the way the human brain works. So, yeah, I, I, I love the fact that we're now getting so sophisticated that we we understand that it's not just people aren't just motivated by money, saving money or making money. There's other stuff mm. and we need to we need to find out what that other stuff is. Like you said, tap into whatever emotion it is that that you think is going to drive them. It might be their need to I don't know, make themselves look good or it might be whatever it is. It's not as simple. It's not as straightforward as saving or making money. I think that's where people really need to to get the most out of this. Tap into that that thing, whatever it is. So it's, it needs a bit of research then, right? To, to understand what that thing is that, that you know will make the difference between you and the next person. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. understanding who you're pitching to, knowing who you're pitching to. Yeah, so, so again, a couple of things you've mentioned there. The first one is my job uh, is often seen, even by people in my company, as being a designer. We've got a pitch to a company, so can you make our PowerPoint slides look pretty? <laughs> and they're actually often very surprised when they find out that most of the work we do, including all of the reading and research and training that I do, and all of the, the training and education that I give to others as well, is predominantly based on psychology and the human brain and how it works. Design comes later. That is a vehicle to help us accentuate our stories to create those emotional connections but absolutely that's where it starts but audience is absolutely essential as well you've got to remember um that companies are a concept they're not a real thing they're not tangible as it were you put a group of people together and they agree with each other that they're going to be a company and then they're a company 
but there's still a bunch of individual human beings with thoughts and feelings and fears and desires. And, and so when we're pitching, we're not a company pitching to a company. We're a human pitching to a human. Mm. And so when we pitch to people, we often do or always do a lot of research on those individuals. And what are the personal motivations so yes your company has come to market and on your uh, brief you've said we need to save a lot of money and we need to break into a new product line and you know all of these business type things but if you peel back the layers and you find out okay well the the chief technical officer who's running this proposal what's in it for him is it that he wants to look good in front of his peers is it that he's going for a promotion? Is it that he needs this project to be successful so he gets his bonus? You know, and that goes as far as understanding his family and his situation at home and hobbies and interests and all of these different things which are driving them to make that decision. Right. So if I was pitching an idea to say like um be on a panel discussion at an event or something like that it's not about just me turning up and being like yeah well I'm gonna be here and this is what I'm gonna do it's more about what they're gonna get out of you being there is that what you're saying and kind of knowing what they want to get out of the situation first so they want someone that's entertained gonna drive sales gonna be well known to drive those sales Exactly that. It's all about empathy. So it's all about putting yourself in the person's shoes who you are pitching to. What will excite them? What will tick all of their boxes? So for a panel discussion, you know, just like you said, what what do they want? They want someone who is going to be entertaining to an audience. They want someone who is confident. They might want someone who looks a certain way. They might want someone with, you know, whatever it is. It's not too hard, even if you're guessing and making assumptions, to have a very good guess at what they probably want. So if all they really want is someone with with confidence to make sure that the conversation doesn't stop, then there's no point, you know, approaching them with all the designs that you've done in the past for a previous (laughs) job you did or for a different panel discussion when they don't want that. You you need Mm. to go in with all of these things at the forefront of your pitch. And you need to say them quickly and succinctly. And you need to say them more than once as well so that you've got your absolute key messages almost on repeat. And you see politicians do this all the time. And uh, I don't know uh, if you've watched, you know, Prime Minister's Question Time. I love it because it's just like a circus, basically. But it's, (laughs) it's really interesting, especially with our current Prime Minister, because every single answer he's got, you can just tell it's been thoroughly rehearsed over and over and over again. It's totally scripted. So when a mm-hmm. question comes to him about, you know, uh, what were you doing at that party drinking beer? He'll say, well, the thing is, what we've done with Brexit is really <laughs> to... <laughs> and he gets away with it. And it sounds like ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm not suggesting that that his approach is a good way because it, it's it's a kind of it's a way of getting out of the question but we can do this in the same way so if someone asks you an open-ended question if they say okay Sarita tell us about yourself if you know what they want then you'll say well I'm a oh. confident person who is a great amount of fun I love to talk I love being in front of an audience instead of saying well I'm married with two kids I've got <laughs> a dog and three cats do you know what I mean it's so completely yeah. different one of them is going, bing, 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 bing. This is the person we want. The other one is going, I'm bored. You're telling me irrelevant things. And us as uh, pitchers, because sometimes we're a bit annoyed about that. Well, you asked me an open-ended question. Hmm. But it's our responsibility to to almost be one step ahead of the things that they're going to ask you. And, and it's like chess. Well, it is a bit like so- chess. And when we pitch, we practice and practice, not just the pitch, but all of the potential questions that they might answer, that they might ask us as well. Join the Women Who Rebrand community on Instagram. We'll share episode reminders, behind the scenes footage, conversations about episode topics from other creatives and more. Join the conversation at Women Rebranded.
taking all of that in, is there a way, is it possible to inject a bit of your personality into your pitching? Because I'm assuming to get that emotional connection, they kind of need to know you a bit too, right? Yeah, I mean, I think injecting your personality is is often quite essential, really. Because again, they're buying you as much as your product. And if they mm -hmm. believe in you, then almost the product's not necessarily even as important, psychologically, subconsciously. So I think it's really important. I mean, the the caveat is you've got to understand and know yourself what kind of personality you want to be for them. Now, I'm not suggesting you go in and you act like someone else, but you need to think, you know, what are the aspects of my personality that I want to get across? And they're the things that you should major on. What you absolutely shouldn't do is go in flat and try and hide any of your personality mm. and it kind of brings it into the storytelling <laughs> bit as well the most powerful thing you can do is tell stories tell anecdotes real things that have happened to you or happened to other people mm. right. so for example if you were selling um i don't know a camera mm -hmm. you could go in and you could say this camera is the best on the market. It's got 12 million pixels. It's got an automatic sensor here and a flash. It does this, that, and the other. Or you could go in and you could say, um, my grandma needed a new camera and there weren't any on the market. And you could talk about how this camera is, is so easy for her to use that now she's gone off and she's taken these beautiful pictures of the grandkids and they're up all over on your wall for everyone to wow. see and I can even show you some of these pictures and it mm. creates that emotion that human connection mm. so that you're talking real yeah. life you know yeah making it relate we all know people yeah we all know people where we have kind of surface level conversations with and actually mm -hmm. we all know other people that we know we can have a real conversation with and you want to try and get that real conversation in your pitches so that you're seen as a real person not as a seller of some service or some product right but it's at the end clever. of the day you are still trying to sell something right so what how how can you do all of that stuff you talked about like putting your personality in and um, plugging into the motivations of the the audience and then still hitting them with uh that this is how much it's going to cost and this is like what I want you to pay. How, how do you make sure that you are getting that pricing into your pitch without detracting from all of the great stuff that you've started with? Yeah, money talks. Yeah, money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially you, you'd think that, you know, big companies would be better at this than, than people trying to pitch a random idea, but they're not. People, humans, most people find it uncomfortable talking about money and therefore people have a real problem with it they brush over it really quick or they try not to mention it at all or the worst thing is that people fail to uh, bring any negotiating skills to the table whatsoever and I think this is really relevant to individuals especially people starting out on their own or with a small business you want to win the work so bad that when you go in and you say, here's my great product and all the rest of it, um, and the, the the buyer says, all right, well, do it for 50% and you've got a deal. And people go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because that means we've sold something. Yes, yeah. fantastic. And, and that's a real problem. And it's a real problem for a number of reasons. Firstly, what you have to do is realize your own value and realize the value of your products. So... To your first question, how do you kind of uh, bring a product into this lovely storytelling mix? Well, you've got to explain the value of it, the value of it to real people. How is your product or service going to genuinely affect the lives of real people in a positive way? And you absolutely need that story. And you need to be confident that that story is true. You've got to believe in it. And you've got to go into a pitch knowing very, very confidently the lowest price that you want to go down to and knowing yourself that you will never cross that line because if you do it just takes you know it really puts you down the pecking order 
some of the most successful companies are the ones who charge the most money for a comparable product that you could buy cheaper. Because again, as humans, we often want to buy more expensive things. We feel better about it ourselves. If I'm going to buy, uh, you know, a pen, and it's actually not a bad example because I really love pens. I do quite a lot of drawing and sketching in my work. And if I go to a lovely graphic design shop in London, I'm not going to buy a 99p pen, even <laughs> if it looks awesome. I'm going to get the one that's like 12.99, and I'm going to come home and I'm going to treasure it, and I'm going to tell people about this pen as well. I spent 12.99 on this pen. <laughs> You know what I mean? So it can really work in a good way as well. But the biggest problem about coming down in price is you're essentially buying the work. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you come too low, you're not going to make any money, which means you're going to potentially be doing a ton of work for someone, making no money whatsoever, or even worse, making a loss and people do this all the time. And I've been guilty. When I started off doing sort of website design work in my 20s for people, and I would do websites that took me, you know, two, three months and charge about 100 quid. And then at the end of it, you think, what was the point of that? <laughs> what an absolute exposure. nightmare. Isn't, isn't that yeah. what we're selling yes. ourselves for exposure? Oh. <laughs> exactly. And your time is valuable, people. Your time mm. needs a dollar value on it as well. So mm. if you're selling a product, you've got to know where is my point of profit because I can, can never go below that. If you're selling a service, you've got to put a value on your own time. And this is especially true with artists who think, well, I don't want to ask for too much money because I'm not that good. So if I sell everything for £100, then maybe I'll get sales. And then they sell a load of stuff and for every £100 they've got to spend four weeks doing a painting. And actually it's not sustainable in any way. Now some companies as well, this is the other problem, We, when we lower our price we get into a situation that we call commodity selling. So if all we're doing is competing on price then the buyer is going to love that and they're going to go for the lowest price, the lowest price, the lowest price. Now for a big company what they often do is they go lower than their profit margin so that they can win the work. And that is really called buying work because they know that they can afford to invest in the sale, which sounds kind of counterproductive because the follow on work can equal a lot of money. Mm. But what inexperienced businesses do is they come all the way down below their profit margin. And then they think, well, how the heck am I going to actually deliver on my promise? Well, uh, first of all, I'm going to have to cut corners. I'm going to have to yeah. reduce the quality of the work. I'm going to have to speed up uh, how quickly I can get it out there. I'm going to have to do a ton of things, which means I can even make 1% profit. And who's going to suffer? Not only the seller, but the buyer. They're not going to be happy with the work. You've all open the champagne on the 50% discount and within a week you're going to be hating each other because you're not providing the promise that you gave them so you've really got to be strong you've got to recognize your own value and unless you are deliberately and consciously buying work so that you can get a foot in the door and you know you're going to recoup that later you have to know that price point and you can't go below it and if someone says, well, then it's too expensive, I'm not going to buy it. You say, cool, thank you very much. See you later. All good. Which, Walk away. Yeah. Yeah. And that is hard, though, I think, especially for new businesses or new brands or whatever. Um, it's hard to walk away from an opportunity. You think that you're going to miss out. But later on down the line, it's definitely worth it. Because I've been there when I started out doing brand collaborations and stuff. It's just like, well... I've only got this such amount of followers, but I'm still going to be doing the exact same amount of work with, or even more than people with more followers than me. And then it's just like, uh, and I ended up doing so much work for so little money and it just wasn't worth it. And then you kind of, you kind of feel like you've been robbed in a sense or taken mm. the mick because it's mm. like, well, I'm actually busting my ass for very little money and I've probably spent way more than I should have trying to get all of this time and effort. But 
even resources and stuff and it's just yeah it just ends up not really being worth it because yeah you've okay at the end of it the result is possibly um a shiny new ad in my case and other brands might see it but at the end of the day the brand doesn't know how much you got paid they don't know what work went into getting you to that point they don't know any of that stuff and they're only going to know when they get in contact with you and then it's your time to pitch to them and tell them what you're going to do and what they want etc etc so it really doesn't matter it's so true and there's another thing there's a a job role called procurement which you may have heard of before who often get involved (laughs) in these buying situations what is procurement for for people like me (laughs) <laughs> so if you're in procurement, your job role is to procure things for your company, as in to buy things for your company. And you have a certain remit in your role. And the main remit in your role is to get the best possible price. So all ah. they're interested in is hammering the price down. And they use all kinds of psychological techniques to make you feel awful. Guilt to get also all of the bad feelings they use them and they they use FOMO and guilt and all of these things to make you lower your price. But to your point, Sarita, they're not necessarily the people who are interested, uh, have a real genuine interest in what you're selling. Their job Mm. is literally to bring the Mm. price down. The decision makers are people above them who are in marketing, say, or, or in different parts of the business. So if a marketing department says, I really want to uh, buy Sarita's services. Procurement will say, no problem. We're going to get you the best possible price in the world. And they'll hammer you down, 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 down. And then they can go back and say, we got you Sarita for half the price. And the marketing guy will say, oh, awesome. That's even better. Fantastic. Mm. But But when you (laughs) walk away, when you walk away, you then have the power all of a sudden. So if you are confident in yourselves and prepared to walk away from a bad deal, you will normally find that before you've even got to the door, they'll say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, because they haven't let on how much they want you Mm. and how much this marketing person or whoever it is might want you as well. So it's called push and pull. And when we sell, psychologically if all we're doing is pushing our product and our service then the other person has all of the power if actually what we're saying is well i'm not sure i even want to sell this to you (laughs) convince me i don't know whether you're the buyer for me um or or if you say well that's my price and that's the price i do with everyone so you're not getting any kind of discount um Mm. totally understand if that's too much for you i mean you've all got your own budget that's okay but I am going to walk away um, unless we can meet my price. Sorry. The power of that is substantial. All of a sudden, there is a power shift in this relationship and you have the power. It doesn't always work, of course. Um, but if you're in a situation where you think, you know what? It's obvious that we both want to work together, but these guys are getting ridiculous on their price. Just try it. Be honest. Say, I, I'm not going to go that low. Look, we, we've negotiated for too long. It's not going to happen. Thanks ever so much. And a lot of the time they'll say, well, okay, well, what is your lowest price? And Mm. they'll come back to you and they'll want more from you. And and you're then in the pull position rather than the push. But it does take Mm. a bit of bravery. Mm. Again, especially when it's you just starting out. But it can really work well. Do you know, this reminds me of that, um, that audio and when this goes out, I'm sure that we'll have to put something onto the social medias with this audio in it, where um, I think somebody, they're like, oh, um, uh, uh, just if you, if you don't want, if you can't afford it, then just say that. It's, just, it's okay. Just say that <laughs> and come back when you've got more money. It's fine. Like, yeah. Don't worry about it. It's cool. No one's going to judge you. It's fine. Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing was um, in that situation that you've just described, Danny where you've you've set your bottom your the lowest point that you can go to and you're you're refusing to go lower than that sometimes what i've seen happen is that businesses will they'll say well yeah sorry we can't pay you that and they'll say goodbye and they'll get someone else to come in and underpay them 
they'll deliver really shoddy service and then the business will realize well mm, maybe we do need to pay a little bit more and then they'll come mm -hmm. back and get you and it puts you in, in an even better position because now they know what paying less gets and why they'll understand the value of why they need to pay for you so it can that is it, so yeah, true it's, yeah it's brave but it can pay off yeah definitely and, and that happens a lot at IBM, actually. It's, it's not as ideal a situation as you might think, um, and I'll tell you why. But, you know, you IBM are never the... the pieces. <laughs> exactly that, yeah, exactly that. So <laughs> IBM are very rarely the cheapest company. So, you know, we pitch against all kinds of people all the time. Sometimes we pitch against 10 other people, sometimes two other people, you know, it totally varies. But it's very rare that we're the cheapest. And so if someone is genuinely struggling with budgets and they need a service and they go with another company who can hit their price point, then just like you said, a year later, so that's the first problem. It can take a long time for things to screw up bad enough for them to come back, but they will come back. But then, not, then what you're doing, you know, it depends on the service and the product you're selling. But when we're talking about things like uh, software integrations, if you've had a company writing bad code for a year, then and the client says, well, even though it was a bad investment, it was an investment, so don't get rid of it. And you're like, well, our starting point is a spaghetti mess, which is not where we wanted to start in the first place. So it's not ideal. So the way you have to get around it is by showing the value. And you know, this is what we do at IBM. We're not the cheapest, but let us tell you why we are not the cheapest. Right. Because we have the best people and we have to pay them higher salaries and we invest a ton of money in training and education for them as well. And not only that, but our software that we've invented, et cetera, et cetera. You talk about the real benefits, the real genuine differentiation is worth a lot more than actual currency, if you like. This episode of Women Will Be Branded was brought to you by IBM. <laughs> <laughs> they better sponsor us. Hello. Yeah, they might do. You never know. Oh, good, good, good. What in the world? So, Danny, um, over the last few years, I've seen a shift in how businesses kind of brand themselves with aligning with certain things. And there was um, a real push for getting women in business. Like you said, you're mentoring women. So I'm guessing IBM, they are championing women. I can never say that, even though it's in our own bio, that word. Um, but I've seen a few cases, even more so about pushing diversity. Um, do you feel those initiatives are important, pushing diversity, pushing women in business? And if so, does it make a difference to you when you're kind of aligning yourself with a business or even joining that business? Wow, good questions. Well, first of all, I think it's incredibly important. I think it's absolutely essential um, just for the greater good of equality in the world that we live in genuine passion of mine actually implementing it can be really difficult though because the the easiest way to implement it is to have quotas so um you know let's say that um we're promoting a hundred people this year well let's then put quotas on to say well uh 50 of them have to be women mm. and you know out of that hundred percent we also need a certain uh diversity mix in there as well you might even talk about um uh, ability and disability as well. Mm -hmm. The problem is you've still got the same pool of candidates. And if the amount of women you've got is very small, then you're going to be pushing women or people uh, from different ethnic backgrounds over people who are potentially higher skilled or more fit for the job. And I don't know how to solve that problem. Um, but it is a problem, I think. I, I don't know how to get around that. There's an element of fairness, um, I suppose you could say. But I still think that doing it with quotas is probably, well, it's definitely better than not doing it um, at all, essentially. But I've, I'm, you're, you're like this. I'm starting to find in my career that being a white male <laughs> is potentially being a problem at this point in time for me. Yeah. 
I mean, what's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are always on top. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, so, so it's happening. Now, the other thing that's important <laughs> to note as well is that um, as an audience, as a buyer, you like to see yourself in, in the seller as well. 100%. And, um, and I'm not just going to call out IBM here because they're better than other companies, but I've worked for a lot of consultancies and digital agencies. And my God, how many times have I found myself in a room where I am personally with five white men and our audience is a diverse mix of ethnicity, culture and gender. And we've had, you know, it's it's not even a... Um, uh, behind the scenes, oh, they could have done better than that. We get direct feedback saying, you are obviously uh, not the company that we want to work with because you've wow. obviously got no no respect for diversity wow. and gender and ethnicity. But this brings another problem. <laughs> this brings uh, often a form of tokenism into the mix as well. Yes. So we think, right, we've got a pitch to this company. We need a black guy. We need a lady <gasps> from India. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah. But it's that kind of feeling that it's like, wow. So then we have to have these situations where, again, we've not necessarily got the right people in the room in terms of subject matter experts, but we've got the right people in the room in terms of diversity and gender. So I'm really passionate about this. I need to jump in at this point because um, so... So the first thing you were saying about the um, like trying to build representation within an organisation and only having a certain pool of people to pull from, that's absolutely what the situation is now. So what businesses need to do is be doing that outreach, be reaching out to certain sections of society much earlier in the process. So when, when they're at school, so that they understand that this is a potential career path for you and they can do what they need to do to get to the point where they're in that candidate pool where you're you're pulling those people from. So you broad you you, you yeah you broaden that candidate pool first of all. You diversify the candidate pool by starting early on in the process. And that can help with the first um, issue that you were talking about. But the second thing about the tokenism Again, completely get it because I remember back in the day when I was um, involved in pitches, we'd go and we'd pitch to a, a media or a creative company and we were told, right, don't wear a suit, make sure you're wearing jeans and tr and trainers, like dress down because you have to match the, the audience that you're pitching to. Mm. And I totally see that happening in terms of um, ethnic diversity and, and all of that kind of thing, bringing in the, the token. But then again, if... You are doing all of those things that broaden your pool that you're able to attract people from earlier on in the process. Then what you're left with is an organisation that is very much representative of where they are in the world. And then you're going to have those subject matter experts who look like the, the, the people that you're pitching to, to bring right. to the pitch. So you're not having to go, you sitting in the back in IT admin Come and deliver a yeah. pitch to this finance <laughs> company that we're yeah. like, that's, yeah. that's not going to be the case. So there's a lot that can be done to stop all of those problems that you've just expressed. No, I completely agree. And and I've got to say, IBM are really quite good at this. Most of the examples of companies being bad at this are companies I've previously worked in who I won't name and shame. But mm -hmm. IBM, and if you're interested, just Google IBM and diversity and inclusion. There's websites dedicated to it. There's proactive outreach. We have the best uh, grad program uh, in the country. We get the award every year for the last kind of decades. We bring the right people in early. And I've got to give the shout out to IBM for that. <laughs> well done, well done. Yay. You better. Okay, so uh, we ask our guests every week to give some words of advice based on their expertise, their knowledge, their experience. So, Danny Fontaine, could you give our audience some tips, maybe three tips for them to remember when they're selling either themselves or their business? Okay, so I think I've probably mentioned them all already, but let me kind of summarise a little bit. You've got to tell stories. You can't just give facts. You've got to tell stories. doesn't mean you have to go and make up stories. <laughs> tell your own stories. Tell real anecdotes 
that can relate to your audience, that relate to your product or service. If you're still stuck with that, there are really good uh, tools and techniques out there on the web to give you a quick start. So one of them I use uh, is called the Pixar pitch. And it's called the Pixar pitch because Pixar invented it. It's something that they use for every single film that they've ever made. And it's a template that says, once upon a time, um, and then one day, and because of that, and because of that. And actually, it's a really simple, like, six-line pro forma to help you write a compelling story. And there's a million other uh, things out there as well. So so just do some Googling for kind of quick start, ready-made story templates, or just look at the Pixar pitch, and mm-hmm. then you won't be staring at a blank sheet of paper. <laughs> uh, the second thing is make those emotional connections. If you don't scare or excite or provoke or bring about curiosity, your audience won't listen to anything that you're going to say, at least not in a focused way. If you can create that emotional spark, ideally thus creating a physical reaction as well, then they will hang on to every single word that you've got to say. Um, And the third thing is know your value. It is not good. It is not good business acumen to let the buyer pay whatever they want for your service. That's not how the world should work. And you will find yourself going out of business pretty quickly. So work out your numbers. Look at your profit. Look at your loss. Figure out what you need to be successful and start off higher than you would normally start off as well. So give them some room for negotiation by going higher. Or even better than that, go super high and say, it's a premium product or I'm a premium person. Yeah, I'm five times more expensive than everyone else on the market, but that's because I'm five times better. So what are you going to do? Boom. E, E, E. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being our second um, male on the show. Thank you for your Mm -hmm. time. Could you tell our lovely audience where to find you on socials? Um, Even if it is just LinkedIn, because you're a business main. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's probably two socials. One is LinkedIn. Just search for Danny Fontaine. And I'm the one who is a creative director at IBM. So feel free to add me on there. But the other thing is TikTok. Now, I, I need to get better at TikTok. But I this have, is where I come in. This is where you come in. Um, I have started doing a few videos on TikTok. I've probably done about 20. And you can find me at Pitch Guy. And my entire proposition is helping everyone out there by giving them 30-second tips on how to pitch and telling anecdotes, telling stories of pitches that didn't work, pitches that did work, and how you can create this emotion, and how the human brain works, and all of that stuff. And um, what I really like doing more than anything on there is not just telling people what to do, but having that discussion and, and getting into a conversation. So really happy for people to to ping me on there as well. If you've got a genuine pitch situation and you want a bit of advice, let me know. All right. Thank you so much, Danny Fontaine. Thank you. Lovely to um, have your brilliant. podcast. And, take and I did care. feel like a third wheel. So thank you for <laughs> including me, guys. I think you were the best to see, actually. <laughs> Darn it. Go get right. me a coffee. <laughs> yes, ma'am. All right. All right. See take you care. guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.